On today's edition of Untold Stories of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast, I'm going to talk to a lady who has been involved in promoting tourism in this region of the province for well over 30 years. Stick around. All right, and welcome to Untold Stories of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast. I'm your host, Jason Ryle, and this is a show that delves into stories about tourism and the people that promote tourism in the Caribou Chilcotin Coast region of BC. This region is absolutely massive and stretches from, uh, I'll use some local landmarks, stretches from uh, Cornell and Barkerville in the east and Horsefly and Likely up towards the Caribou Mountains as far south as Clinton and almost to Cache Creek and Lillooet as well as part of the region and then out to the west coast including places like Bella Bella and Bella Coola and Klemtu. It's an absolutely massive region and to find out more on the size of the region I encourage you to check out the website landwithoutlimits.com. Now that is completely separate. Today I'm going to talk to a lady who's been involved in promoting tourism in the Caribou Chilcotin Coast, specifically the Caribou, I'll say, for well over 30 years. And my guest today is Juanita Corbett. Juanita, welcome to the show. Thank you, Jason. It's great to be here. So we were talking a little bit uh, before we started recording, and you mentioned that you've been here in the Caribou. You came to the uh, you came to the Caribou in 1967. Did you come? Yeah, May the 30th, I came across the line. All right. In 1967. And where did you come from? Um, originally, I'm from, I was born in Indiana. Um, have most of my memories of childhood in the state of Kentucky. And um, my family moved me to California when I was about 10 years old. And then um, up to Oregon. So from Oregon, been there about five years and um, came to the Caribou had friends up here that we're just going to see. But amazingly, um, when I crossed over this little hill in Clinton and I saw the beautiful blue sky and mm -hmm. big fluffy white clouds, I said, this must be what heaven's like. Wow. I'd like to think that that's what a lot of people <laughs> think and say to themselves as yeah. they come into the into the region. There you go. Now, the reason why you're on the show is because you've been an uh, advocate for promoting tourism in the region mm -hmm. for yes. quite a long time. Now, you're probably best known for being connected to what used to be the Hills Health and Guest Ranch. That's right. And when you came to the Caribou, did you just jump right into getting involved in the resort industry? Uh, yes, uh, when I very first came in 67, I um, helped manage uh, Pollard's Three Bar Guest Ranch in Clinton. And um, that was for one season. And then also worked at Todd Mountain. Mm -hmm. Which is now Sun Peaks. Yes, which is now Sun Peaks. And uh, so that was my beginnings of really working with, um, w with visitors coming into the caribou. And how is it that that evolved into your role at the Hills? It really starts uh, when Pat and I first got married over 40 years ago. I had been quite sick. I had had uh, kidney problems and um, a good friend of that eventually became our, our, our good friend was Dr. Bob Marshall. And he literally, uh, in few words, helped heal my kidney, my second one from being removed. 
So going through that whole experience of being ill and then being able to learn how to heal myself, we started the Hills Health Ranch. And that was the reason was because we wanted to give people a kickstart into a healthier lifestyle in a big ranch setting in the summer and a ski resort setting during the winter months. So is this something that you had been exposed to, uh, the resort lifestyle, uh, before you started the business? Yes. Um, again, understanding that I, that I started in 1967 um, as managing and working at Pollard's Three Bar Guest Ranch as a working cattle ranch. And um, that was amazing for my, for my two children, who were very small at the time. And for me, that being in front of the public has been since I was six. Six? Six years old. So to me, uh, looking after people was just a part of my nature and part of my background. Customer service kind of came naturally. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. So six years old, how mm -hmm. is it that you uh, got used to being in front of the public at six? At six years old, um, I started singing country music on the road. And uh, my uncle was String Bean on Grand Ole Opry and Hee Haw. And uh, from that, those beginnings, uh, my dad started getting my sister and I to sing from the time we were really little. Okay. And, um, uh, I just remember us always hearing, I can't hear you. Because we didn't have microphones then, and oh. you, we would sing in big halls, or, um, and so you had to be heard from the very back door with the old fellow that happened to came in and maybe couldn't hear that well. <laughs> it's like so, the old uh, stage theater performers. Absolutely. You had to project. Absolutely. So uh, by the time we were, my sister and I, we were... I was, uh, she's two years older than myself, and um, I just remember being at Renfro Valley, and that's in Kentucky. Okay. And if you can um, be approved through Renfro Valley in Kentucky, you can then go on to Grand Ole Opry. And so that's what happened. Wow. And so by the time I was 13, we were able to be on the stage at Grand Ole Opry. That's fascinating, so, Juanita. So from that, so from the, a very small child, I have learned um, literally as part of our, as my sister and our, 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 whole, our whole makeup was literally uh, to please people yeah. and to try to, and to, uh, to do what we could. To perform. Just to, just to perform. That's right. And how long, so did you get to perform on the Grand Ole Opry stage? I did, yes. Uh, but more than anything, we got to go on one night stands uh, around the country with my Uncle String Bean. And with some of the other, uh, I remember Cowboy Copas and um, other ones that the, at the time that would travel with us on these one-night stands through uh, Kentucky, Tennessee, and uh, Louisiana, Alabama, some of those, some of those states. So those are the times that I remember a small child um, enjoying that career that was, it wasn't what I would have chosen at the time, but it's what I was kind of led well, into. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, you were, like you said, you were six years old, you That's were quite right. young and it's not something I think most six year olds yeah. are going to decide to do. Exactly. You have to practice a lot. And so you don't get to play a lot. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's right. It's a job still as much as you're that's, performing. That's right. So how long did you, were you on the road and, and were you a performer? Uh, singing until I was um, 17. And I really, at 14, I had decided I really didn't want to do this. Because in the 50s, 
and that's when I was. This was all happening. Uh, you had no say so about your about your. You, you didn't have any decisions for yourself at all. You were strictly owned mm. by agents and by other people, and you were told what to do. And you have to remember in those days. Um, a lot of the stars that were very famous and uh, were doing well on this platform were backstage, alcohol, mm-hmm. drugs. Um, sure. You know, they weren't very happy. And I thought, hmm, gee, if none of these are happy, why would I want to continue to do this? Absolutely. So at 14, I decided I probably wouldn't continue this kind of a of a career. It's great that you had that, that moment of... Um, of recognition at, at 14 years old to see the, the stars around you that I'm sure that you had grown up listening to on the radio and, yes. you know, obviously traveling mm-hmm. on the road with and recognizing that this is not a lifestyle that I, I want to pursue the whole celebrity or the, the, the stardom life is not what it's cracked up well, to be. Well, exactly, Jason. I think for me as a child, again, starting at six and being behind the scenes, behind the platform, behind the stage, um, I got to see people for, for who they really were. I didn't see any happy ones. And I remember at 10 years old saying to my mother, Mama, why is it that, you know, they're famous and they're making a lot of money, and why is it they're so sad? And she said, "Hun, that just goes to show you that money doesn't make you happy. What you do with it might bring some happiness, but it, isn't, it doesn't bring you happiness. And so for me, I decided I want so it. A very young age, I kept looking for the people that were happy and didn't have to have applause or didn't have to feel like that that's what they were earning for. Right. And so I, I, the profession that I noticed was hairdressers and makeup artists, and they were behind the scenes, and they didn't have to have the applause, and they seemed to be quite happy. So at 18, mm-hmm. I went to cosmetology school in the state of Oregon. Okay. And I got my full license as a hairdresser, as a as an esthetician, massage therapist. Wow. Because at ten, I was looking at looking for people that were happy. And I think that that kind of speaks to you. And this is just one of those, you know, high level comments around life that sometimes a simple life is the best life. I think everyone has um, a need to want to please others, but at the same time, it's difficult when there's many people owning a piece of you and that's what I noticed that as a singer in those years now it isn't so much that way today but in those years you were owned Mm -hmm. you didn't have like I said you don't have you didn't have the right to have any opinion about what you would like or, or or just where you wanted to go yeah, it's the life within a contract was exactly a lot more black and white and used as a uh, heavy-handed tool back then. It, it was, yes. Yeah. And uh, you know, in those days, it uh, thank goodness today, um, a lot of those stars uh, that I was singing with, that was pretty scary for a little girl behind the stage. I, I was quite afraid of probably most of them. Really, I was of the stars that you were performing with. That's right. Because they were leading such unhappy lives, and you know there's the drinking, drugs and, and alcohol, were, and, you know, and drugs, and it. And as a young child, it was pretty scary behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just had to take a moment to take that all in because it's <laughs> it's really quite a profound uh, reflection on the life of celebrity, which I think a lot of people, especially nowadays, 
become fascinated with and are fans, but fans short for the word fanatic and mm-hmm. celebrities are put on this high horse and they can do no wrong. And you know, oh, uh, what's the next thing that this person's going to try and hawk, whether it's a makeup line or a pair of sneakers or yes. a clothing line. And right. we, the, the general populace just eats it all up because right. this celebrity is saying that I should buy it. Right. And you know, even and, and at 10 years old, I said to my mom, I said, mama, when I grow up and I get married and I have kids, they aren't going to see a suitcase till they're in high school. Wow. So at 10, I had a vision of how I would like to raise my children. And that was not in the back seat, changing your clothes and trying, even at six and, you know, seven, eight, nine years old, I'm having to put on makeup. Mm-hmm. And so um, I was determined <laughs> that I was going to, that my children were going to have a different life. So when I came across the line and I came to Clinton and I saw that rise, I have two small children, it clicked. This is the type of place I would like to raise my children. Because it leads to the simple life is a better life kind of idea? Because it was, was, um, again, uh, always um, uh, serving others has been a part of my life uh, since I was little. But I wanted to do it in a clean air, fresh water, clean ground. I wanted to do it in a place where I would be able not to have to leave home to go to a job, but to be able to have, to have an opportunity to have a job right there w- with my children so I wouldn't have to go away home from, you know, to actually go to work. Sure, yeah. And that, and that Pollard's Three Bar Guest Ranch was the perfect place. My kids thought they'd died and gone to heaven. <laughs> so your two kids that came along with you, um, mm-hmm. how did they adjust from, uh, you know, your life south of the border to coming now to this area, which is really kind of, at the time, probably the middle of nowhere for them? Like I say, Jason, like a doctor they wine? thought it was absolutely the most wonderful lifestyle in the world. They got to ride horses with other people. They got to be with cowboys. They got to round up cattle. They got to brand. They got to do all the things that these people were paying to come to this guest ranch. They got to do it all for free. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure they got uh, had to do a little bit of work. Oh, around the they farm. had chores. Oh, yeah, yes, of course. But yeah, it was. To them, it was just it was just great fun. They just thought it was wonderful. That's awesome. So your foray into the healthcare industry, mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned, kind of came about uh, not in a self-serving way, but it was because you had to recover from your kidney uh, uh, bout. Yes. And so uh, that was kind of the kick in the pants that you needed at the time to get into the industry and go. I yes. want to provide this sort of lifestyle. Uh, or or an experience of a lifestyle to some people. How did that ball get rolling? What what? How did you decide on the hills? We decided on the hills because um, we had bought the property across from the 108 ranch, and then all and then we just seemed to keep adding parcels of land to it. And again, right from day one, we 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 wanted to have Pat and I wanted to have. Uh, a destination health ranch in a guest ranch setting in the summer 
and a ski resort setting during the winter. So we wanted a year-round mm-hmm. destination health ranch. And for that, um, we knew that we would be the first, pretty much in Canada, to have such a place. And we were so in awe of the change in my health that we wanted to literally be able to open up a tourism-related business that health was one of the main, compo- you know, of course, components. Mm-hmm. And so for us, it was a, it, like it was it at the very beginning. Even when everybody else said we were crazy and this wasn't going to work, we believed in what, in the dream of giving people healthier choices in this beautiful, beautiful country. So what were those first few years like? It was tough. But you know, where there's a will, there's a way. And uh, from the time I, I was little, my mother would never let us say, I can't. All right. And then that word was not in the dictionary. Mm-hmm. And there's a will, there's a way. And for Pat and I, we, the very beginnings was, um, you know, we had just the chalets the first winter. And <laughs> I just remember her so well, our first guest. And Pat, I thought, you know, we worked so hard to get the chalets ready, get the well dug, get the roads in, get the power, get do all of the things that you need to have to have someone come. And then this is in the winter. And uh, it was Your first quite guest cold. was in the winter. Was, was in the winter. We just had the chalets. We didn't have the main building done, mm-hmm. but we had the barn. Our barn was the first building that we built. You have to look after your animals. Mm-hmm. And um, I just remember our very first um, <laughs> event was um, we had, I believe, 40 men from the, uh, from actually Greyhound, from the head offices of Greyhound. Okay. And they needed a place to have their small conference. Mm-hmm. And Pat, such a great salesperson, we can do this. And I'm saying, how are we going to feed them? <laughs> he says, well, we got the main bottom of the, because we hadn't put any animals in there yet. Oh. So, so we, <laughs> so <laughs> I'm cooking on, um, you know, and I'm thinking, I'm not, uh, I'm, I'm not a chef, but I do know how to make good country southern food. Yeah. So for me, it was, uh, I got them biscuits and fried apples and gravy and all the eggs and all those, all those oh, things wow. that you would have if you were in Kentucky. Yeah. So I was able to cook for them in the bottom of the barn. And they, we had the hayloft, we put up tables and chairs, and that's where they had their conference, and they had a great time. Where there's a will, there's a way. No kidding. And uh, so, for, and our very first guest in the winter was uh, cross-country skiers. And I just remember Pat was so excited about having these first guests come. And then when they actually got there, he was quite, all of a sudden the fear came, what have we done all this and they don't like it? I sort of had to go out in the front and <laughs> while well, he sort of shook in the background sure. there for just that few moments. <laughs> you had to be the, the, the calm voice of yeah, reason. And go, the, hey. Just, you know, just for that moment. Yep. We're <laughs> and in this. Then, and we you know, they loved it, it and they brought their friends and it just continued on from then. So our first year, we, we finally opened our main building and had our grand opening in May the 30th of 1985. So that was our first grand opening, but we'd been open the winter before. Mm-hmm. And so as we were continuing to build the main building and getting everything else in place. 
Now, I remember when I started my broadcast career, which was in the early to mid-90s, mm-hmm. I remember hearing about the reputation of the Hills Health and Guest Ranch yes. and becoming aware that this place that you guys had created was was not only special, but it was elite. Elite in the sense that you were offering a world-class service. And at the time, it was a bit of a, it was certainly an eye-opener for me that we have this kind of service in our own backyard. Like I can drive there and it's not some wellness resort in Mm -hmm. the Swiss Alps kind of thing, which is, I think that's where uh, some people tend to stereotypically go in their mind. That this is right here in our backyard. So how, what did you guys do in order to get to that level? You know, we, our goal at the very beginning was we were never going to be brass and glass and marble. Our brass and glass and marble was going to be in our staff. So we sought out the very top of the line of professionals, whether it was um, chefs, like nutritionists, we had behavioral counselor, we had exercise physiologists, we had, I'm a certified esthetician, mm-hmm. cosmetologist, hairdresser. I also made sure that, that that's who we hired. So we had the top of the line of professionals in the resort, healthcare, you know, um, of course, profession. It was your so staff. we chose to put our money in making sure that our staff was, because they're the ones that's going to deliver the goods. Right. And you might be in a little cabin that um, is just a gyp rock and wood and you know, two by fours, but, but you're going to get first class service. People that really care about you and that can help you make a difference in your life. And so that's where we started and that's where we continued. So your staff were the, the, the points or the, the elements that set you apart, you know, yes. because where we are here in the Caribou, we do have to compete, especially if you're going to be in the resort industry. Absolutely. You have to compete with the best in the world. You do. The whistlers of the world, the, the Swiss of the world, the, yes. the, and yeah. um, what we lack in maybe some of those natural assets we don't have in the Caribou, we don't have, you know, snow capped peaks mm-hmm. and um, you don't have sand. Exactly. That's right. But what we do have are people that are resilient. They want to be the best version of themselves they can be. And if your job uh, for your staff, if your job is to deliver that, that's how you set yourself apart. And that, I I think that's how you guys uh, became into that elite status. That's right. We were sought after because we were seeking for the very best people in our whole region and they had come to the Caribbean because they wanted to raise their families in this wonderful, clean air, pristine water, beautiful landscapes. They came for a reason, the same reason as I had come so a few years before. So they all had the same, you know, desire and goals, but they also had wonderful degrees mm-hmm. <laughs> and experience. Yes. And wanting to serve others, just the same as same as Pat and I did. So when it comes to how businesses in the Caribou can compete with others around the world, 
I, I, I just want to say this out loud because I think it's something that uh, a lot of businesses, uh, you know, I'm fairly involved in the business community here in, in Williams Lake and uh, branch out into the caribou. But the thing that can put you over the top when it comes to how you create your brand, how people, how your customers think about you yes. is through customer service. Absolutely. You hit it on the nail head. If you give the very best you have, and you really care about people, and that's what fulfills your own needs, you have the most perfect place in the world. There aren't very many places, Jason, that you can come to that everywhere you look, in every direction, That's all right. <laughs> I'm still so blessed to be able to live here. I'm sorry. No, don't be sorry at all. I, I share with you um, uh, that connection of being blessed to live here. Yes. I've grown up here in the Caribou since I was, uh, I think my parents moved here when I was two. Mm. I'm now in my late 40s. Um, and I... I get it. I understand the connection people have to this area. And that's also part of the reason why this podcast exists is because I want to, I, I want to show it off to the world. And mm -hmm. if that means that it's through podcasts, if it means uh, through video, uh, I don't care what medium it's going to be. I want to try and show people that we live in the best part of the world. We do. We do. We do. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I'm allowed to live here, that I, I was invited to come. They allowed me to come, and I have been blessed every year that I've been here. Um, through all the thick and thin and through all the hard times and all the good times, it is still the best place in the world. So with, when it comes to the hills, and again, going back to the early mid-'90s, I became aware that you guys were entertaining celebrities. It Again, works. that whole celebrity world mm -hmm. comes back into the life of Juanita Corbett. How did that happen? Well, let me just put it this way. Whatever that you've done in your life, you are connected to people. Mm -hmm. You meet people and you, and when, and because my, my family was down in California, I had met, for example, Cuba Gooding Jr. when he was just 14 years old. So as I'm now in, 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 beautiful British Columbia and he's a an up-and-coming actor and there's people like that that have come to the hills that have um, because I met them maybe when I was younger but then when you have one or two come then they go tell their friends and then they go tell their friends and pretty soon you've got a group of them coming and so it's just one of those things where uh, in your in, in just all of your comings and goings you're going to meet people. And if you're friendly and you care about people, they'll come. And they'll come back because your customer service exactly, yeah. was exemplary. You give them the best you have. And in this world, when there's so when technology is running everything, it's still such a sought after um, experience is to have someone care about you. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been to the hills uh, when uh, you and Pat were still uh, proprietors there. And I remember seeing your 
um, one of your walls that had a number of celebrity pictures. Mm -hmm. Can you take me on a bit of a laundry list of people that were from that world that came and, and experienced what life was like at the Hills? You know, I know this sounds crazy, but I was, I didn't care any more about them than I did the people that were coming from down the street or the ones that came from Vancouver or so in my memory bank, I probably have more memories of the people that came that had health problems or that had gone through a terrible experience in, you know, in their life than I do of some of the stars that came. And so, and I know that sounds a bit weird, but you know, for me, it's a, is how did I make a difference? I just remember this one fellow, for example, um, he came from the island. He was, um, he was a boat captain and he weighed well over 400 pounds. Mm -hmm. And because you get fed well on those fishing vessels. Um, and he came and he stayed for, he stayed for three months. Three months? Three months. His company, or literally, helped pay for him to come. And we changed his life and we saved his life. So, uh, or a young man, Mark, that was um, in his very early 30s. And he was uh, well over 300 pounds. And he'd worked so hard for his father and his partner, his father's partner, they paid for him to come. He stayed four months. Wow. And he not only changed his life, and, and one of the reasons why they sent him is because he was having heart problems. And for Mark, he not only changed his lifestyle, but he met his wife. One of our oh, really? exercise um, staff person, you know, you know, at the mm -hmm. at the hills, and she and she did the aerobic classes, and he met her, and they got married. They have a beautiful son. So you know, you you think of those things, and the stars that came were maybe there for a short while, but we had a lot of um, we had uh, we had a lot of politicians that came and would stay and come and to just to get a you know a little kick into the, like into their healthy sure, side. Yeah. So for us, it was, um, you know, I, I just remember all of those people that we were able to make a big difference in their life. Juanita, I love that that is your answer to my question. And when I asked you about which celebrities came to your resort, you answered with, they're just people. They absolutely are, hun. They have problems just like, just like the rest of us, but, but the people that come and they, all of a sudden they've been a couch potato or they feel like they can't get out and make the changes in their life, or they've had tragedies to the point where they just feel like they aren't worthy. Mm -hmm. And when you're able to make changes in those lives, they are the big stars in my life. Like they're the important people, the big stars that, that really changes my life because I was able to fulfill a need that was very great. Absolutely. Again, right. it, it comes back to helping people. Exactly. And that's what tourism really, when you come to the caribou or you go anywhere, when you find people that love to help you or that they, they fulfill their own needs by actually fulfilling yours, that then it's a win-win. Wow. That's profound. It's a win-win. 
with your experiences at the Hills, I know you guys were recognized for the impact that you had on many, many, many people's lives. Yes, we had many, many accolades and awards and throughout throughout our, our, our 33 years there. Can you talk to me about your experience or what it was like for you and Pat uh, to be recognized uh, and be inducted into the U.S. Spa Industry Hall of Fame? That was that was our that was in 2015, um, March of 2015, and that's when we um, we were so surprised, Jason. I can't tell you how surprised we were to be the only Canadians for one thing, and only eight people to be inducted into the U.S. Spa Hall of Fame in Washington D.C. That would be the Icing the very yeah, pinnacle no kidding. <laughs> of our of our career because uh, everyone else was from was from the states and we're the only ones from Canada. And I think one of the things that again, Pat as Pat and I look back on our thirty three years at the Hills Health Ranch, we were very Pat was so um, always there to promote tourism, no matter what. He was on so many boards. I was on the International Spa Association board for four years and then Pat for four. So we gave of our time, literally gave of our time with no pay to speak of. I mean, like no one paid you, you know, to be no, on these boards right. in order to promote what we thought was the, the best kept secret in the world was the caribou and the Chilicotin. And the, this whole region is because tourism is where people come and they partake of what you of of, of actually what is all natural here. They don't do, they don't destroy anything, mm-hmm. but they take away the most wonderful memories in their life is from this place. They take away experiences. They take away experiences and memories that they will never forget. And they meet people that become a part of their, of their fiber, of their whole being. And for us, one of the things that Pat and I worked so hard at was to get to allow our staff to become friends with the guests. You know, we had been to many places where the staff was not allowed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, don't it, talk to the you guests. Know, you, can't, you know, don't you can't be way. friends with the guests. Mm-hmm. But that's not what we wanted. We wanted our, Jason, we, we had many of our staff that was with us for 25, 27, 28 years. More than half of our staff was, was with us for a very long time. That's amazing. And so they were part of our family. So we were grateful to them because they're the ones that, actually delivered the goods. Mm-hmm. And um, and there were people that loved people just like Pat and I do. So it was, they got to, to become friends with the world. I love that you keep steering away from l- allowing me to shine the spotlight on yourself. <laughs> because I, I, again, about your experience of getting inducted into the Spa Hall of Fame, I, I wanted to know what that experience was like for you. For, for you and Pat, yeah. uh, again, it's not about bragging or boasting about uh, how good we are, no, um, it, but it is a bit of a reflection about how good you are. You are only as good as the people that you have around you. Completely. And for Pat and I, we were so blessed to have the best staff in the world. So without them, we would have never been able to make, like we wouldn't have been inducted into the U.S. Ball Hall of Fame. Because they're the, again, they're the ones that delivered the goods. My job was to look after the staff. Mm-hmm. Pat's job at the ranch was really to 
to keep up this five-year plan, to keep us steering towards that five-year plan, always the next five years. And my job was to look after the staff because the staff's job was to look after our guest and to give that five-star experience. Mm -hmm. So I made sure that I loved my staff and cared for them like my own children. I'm going to change gears on you now here, Juanita. I know that it's not even fair for me to ask, where's your favorite part of the Caribou Chilcotin? Because I'm, I'm sure you're going to say, well, that's exactly where you were at the hills for you know 33 years. Uh-huh. Um, but if you, if you were talking to someone that was not from this region or didn't know anything about it, if you had to give them a, a list of places to see, or maybe some places that have made an impact on you in this region, mm-hmm. uh, where might you choose? Bellacoola is an amazing place. Hagensburg is when you come down off of that very the hill. steep hill. <laughs> uh, the ancient forest. It just it just absolutely profound. At Anaheim Lake, if you're to go in, for example, I had a ranch. I had a cattle ranch at Anaheim Lake for five years. Oh, just before I met Pat. Before we started, before I met Pat. So in Anaheim, you're looking at five mountain ranges. The Illigaches, the Itchies, the Big Rainbow, the Little Rainbow, the Coastal. It is magic. If you are uh, at Tatlioko and you turn and you go up to Bracewells and you're overlooking, you're almost on the top of the mountain, overlooking the tops of the mountain. Jerry Bracewell is one of my heroes. She's absolutely an, an amazing, amazing person. The very first people that I met when I moved to Anaheim was the very people that I had never heard of, but, but the world certainly has, like through their books. And that is, um, you've got Pan Phillips, and you've got Dorsey, and, so, and you've got Connie King, and you've got those people that I met that I, I just in awe of. Because they were very big characters. Mm -hmm. But they were there, not just because um, they happened to land there. They made Anaheim Lake area famous because they loved where they were. And they made the most of it. I think I've met Jerry Racewell uh, once. Um, Not that I think she would ever recall, but she was instrumental in the building of the road down the hill. It actually was her husband, uh, Alex, that was instrumental. Jerry was the very first female uh, licensed guide and outfitter, I believe, in these parts for sure. Mm-hmm. They're such positive people, hon. When you, and you know they've had hard times, hard times, and their life has not been easy. But they always are the most positive, strong people mm-hmm. that you've ever met. I've met and a few. Jerry was... Jerry just to me is she'll always be my hero. So again, it doesn't matter whether you're in Bella Coola or you're in Anaheim Lake or you're in Horsefly. Is is absolutely stunning. The water is so deep and the fish are so big. And so you get you get an experience no matter which direction you go here, because this region is so huge. Mm-hmm. It's enormous. It really is. And when Pat's out there taking me to all these different resorts and different places, it's, it's, it's immense. But it all has one thing in common, and that is people have moved here 
from Germany, from Switzerland, from all these other countries to make a place in their life. And, and it's not to be famous, but to come here because they want to fulfill a dream, a dream that they've had maybe from a child. Mm-hmm. But they come here because they want to be able to give to others the experience that they have. Maybe they've seen a picture um, when they were young. Or someone's come back and said, I have had the most amazing experience. And we found that, for example, Germans Mm -hmm. are in awe of the caribou because it is considered the last frontier. In the world, it's pretty hard to find a place that's safe, that you don't feel like you're going to get bombed tomorrow. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, that the air is clean, the water is pristine, the land is so pure. There isn't very many places that is this large that has that kind of a reputation for so many years. And that's why we want to show it off. Absolutely. And you get can't people to beat, come here. you know, nature has its own amazing reward for almost anybody. I don't care where you come from. And this this landscape is by far to me, the most blessed. So in changing gears, I'm sure we all have some kind of a negative highlight or something tragic that's happened in our life or in our business career that's made us go, oh man, I don't know if I'm going to be able to pull through this. That's right. Has anything like that ever happened to you? Yes. Um, We had just bought another 750 acres adjacent to the hills, Health Ranch was told that uh, the, they were not going to sell the train. But in 2002, Gordon Campbell sold the train tracks. Mm-hmm. And we, a good 15 to 20, 25% of our business was coming by train. And all of a sudden that stopped overnight. And we now have a large debt on this brand new, on this 750 acres that we just purchased. And so we weren't sure we were going to get through that one. We had to now search out new territories and new ways to bring people. And access into the caribou has been a, has been a goal of Pat since day one, is access. All of a sudden, we didn't have the train. And that was critical. And my husband, Pat, had worked so hard with others to help bring back the ferry mm-hmm. to Bella Coola. Because access is everything. Absolutely. So if we don't have the access, then we don't have the people. That's right. And there's no point in having a business if you can't get customers to your door. So that was a really, like, devastating for Pat and I. Absolutely devastating. But where there's a will, there's a way. You guys operated the Hills Health and Gas Ranch for 33 years? 33 years. Yeah. And then you decided, um, I'm guessing a handful of years ago now, that it was time to retire. I'm sure that was no easy decision. No, it wasn't an easy decision, but again, um, because our resort was open 365 days a year, we never closed. And a number of the resorts in this region would would uh, would close maybe a certain time, uh, certain parts of, of the seasons, right? Mm-hmm. But for us, it was open 365 days a year. We never closed seven days a week. So after a while, that's going to that's gonna play its toll. Mm-hmm. And for me, it was, um, again, my health was starting to fail. I think Pat would have hung on for maybe longer. Sure. But um, for me, it was, um, I just knew. And again, um, Jason, I'm 76. 
So for me, this is a, you know, I'd been at it for a long time. Mm -hmm. And for all of us, sometimes we just need to stand, sit back, stand back and let new energy come in. Was it during that transition into retirements that um, your you formed your Canadian Natural Oils company, or was actually it? I formed my Canadian Natural Oils in uh, 1998. Oh, okay, long time before then, and one of the reasons is because in the resort business, or or I think maybe in any business, if if you know we all are are given um, possibilities, and what we do with them. And for me, uh, you know, Pat was so frustrated with the rose bushes because they choked out the grass for our horses. And my whole basis of my whole faith is that God doesn't make junk. So if it's growing here, it's got to be here for a reason. Uh, because <laughs> I have to laugh, Pat and I are walking along uh, the fence line looking over at our neighbor's property, and he had nothing but these beautiful fields of grass. And... Our side of the fence line was wild rose bushes. <laughs> and Pat was pretty frustrated with them. He'd done everything from taking the tractor blade and lowering it, trying to mow them down. Well, all he did was just prune them and far more came up the next year. Mm -hmm. So my whole goal was to find out why did we have rose bushes and Wendell had grass. So for us, it was um, Pat just, he could see I was dogmatic about this i'm going to find the answer for this so sure enough i really dealt into and did a lot of research and paid a lot of money out of my own pocket not the hills pocket but mine to find the answer and when i realized that we had the rose bushes wendell only had grass you can buy hay <laughs> so for me it was such um, an exciting time to find out all the good things that's in rose bushes now rose petals mm -hmm. is where they get the rose absolute oil but 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 believe me jason i knew i couldn't go there takes over two thousand pounds of rose petals to make one ounce of oh, rose oil so that my. would not be where i thought that i could do anything but i checked out the fruit the rose hip itself is amazing and when you read all the history and all what's, what, what this little berry has done is, is absolutely stunning. That little rose hip has, um, has anywhere from 60 to 100 times more vitamin C in it than an orange. That little rose hip is what has sustained the wildlife. They eat that because it's so, because they can store vitamin C. Horses, guinea pigs, dogs, and people don't store vitamin C. Oh. We have to get it in there every day in order to, to do its job. Right. So I spent thousands of dollars with, the, with UNBC up in Prince George with that university. Portage of Prairie, Manitoba had a big uh, lab that I worked with. Uh, I worked with uh, other labs as well in just understanding the wealth that's here. So I decided, okay, it's going to be rose hips. And so I learned how, if I wanted to make the best rose hip in the world, I needed to cold press it. But in, in Canada, I couldn't find anyone, nor in the States, that had a machine that would be able to cold press it. Those little tiny seeds in rose hips are some of the hardest seeds in the world, is rose hip seeds. Okay. And 50,000 pounds of pressure 
only flattens it. It doesn't break it. So they need to be cold pressed. So they need to be cold pressed. But how do you do that? I had to, I decided I was going to go for this. And I literally ordered from Germany a stainless steel screw press, cold press, to be able to break open the, the seeds and get the oil from it. So, you know, again, Pat's, he's, he's <laughs> getting a little nervous over yeah. all that I'm doing here, but, but he sees I, you know, that I'm onto something. And especially when he gets all of the research that I've done and the wealth and what is rosehip oil good for. It's amazing, not only that you could eat it, but for the skin conditions and me being an esthetician, Mm -hmm. cosmetologist, I realized that if no one else would buy it, I would use it in our spa. Because again, in our spa department, my whole goal was to use as natural products as possible. So for me, the rosehip was a major blessing. My rosehip oil has been sold um, to the, for example, the Fairmont Bamp Springs, the Sahara Spa in, Mm. in Regina. You've got the you have the spirit spa in, in, and this is in Halifax. So uh, across Canada. I love the fact that uh, it was really a change in mindset for you that you initially, or between you and Pat, you looked at this proliferation of roses as a problem. Yes. And then you changed your perspective and you were like, well, we've got an abundance of something. Let's figure out how to use it. Exactly. And sounds like it opened up a whole new world for you. It, 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 it really did. It set us apart in our spa department. It set us apart from all other spas. When you are able to take an indigenous plant and you to extract the goodness from it, mm-hmm. um, because it, you know, there's people that have used herbs and things, but it, it, it was very unusual for someone to co-press oil from plants indigenous plants growing right on your own land. So that was to, that was an amazing, and you know, when, when you think about the history of rose hips, for example, in World War II, where in England, they had no fruit trees and the ships were not allowed to come in. The universities had found out that rose hips had that so full of vitamin C that they could make a syrup from it and give it to the school children and to all of of the soldiers Mm -hmm. and no one came down with scurvy but they had no fruit yeah but they had rose hips nothing in this world that ever grows or that god's ever created there's no such thing to me as weeds well like you said god doesn't make junk god doesn't make junk maybe sometimes for people that are experiencing a, a downtime in their life or they feel like uh, all they have are problems. Maybe it's just a change in your mindset. It's always, you know, and and, and I totally agree with you, Jason. There's, there's always going to be problems. There's mm-hmm. always going to be things coming into your life that you think, oh, what in the world do I do with this? But there's always a blessing or, or, or an answer to every problem. And, and you realize that this too shall pass. You know, that is something that I uh, say to my family uh, and uh, my colleagues as well on a regular basis is that, you know, when you're going through tough times, this too shall pass. Exactly. Bad times can't last forever. Exactly, honey. And you know, you just realize that 
that you're a lot stronger than you realize you are and that you never have to go through anything alone. You always have friends or family or people or your faith that takes you through that really tough time. And you do come out on the other side a much better person. Juanita, that is a fantastic place, I think, to sort of leave today and leave today's episode is on such a positive note that it's your mindset that really can dictate your success or your failures. And just to highlight some of the other things we talked about, that if you're in business, customer service is what's going to set you apart and either make or break your business. Absolutely. I totally agree with you, Jason, that in everything that I've ever experienced in my life, it's the people that took that extra minute, even just to smile. That's what I remember about a resort or a place or, or a region or whatever that you go through in your whole life in my 76 years. I remember those people that made me feel special. That's and that's what the Carib is all about. That's fantastic. Thanks very much for taking the time to sit down with me today, Juanita. All right. So thank you again for today. And thank you again for tuning in to today's episode. If you liked what you heard today, make sure you like and subscribe to uh, this podcast. You can make sure that uh, we'll make sure that this podcast is available on all the various platforms that you uh, subscribe to your podcasts or get your podcast subscriptions from. Until next time, this has been another episode of Untold Stories of the Caribou Chilcotin Coast. Thanks again for listening.